So the better we can understand the ideas that keep our our culture captive, the better we can understand how to then address, you know, demolishing those strong those idea strongholds, mm-hmm. pointing out their their error, or helping people to ask the questions they need to ask in order to see why they're fallacious, why they're they're false, why they why they don't ultimately provide the secure foundation of reason to hold our values up that we think they do. Welcome to another Prepared Dancer podcast. My name is Sean Walker, and I'm excited to have Scott Steen with me again. Hi again, Sean. Well, our last podcast, we looked at the Bill C-6, which is still before Parliament. I believe so, yes. As of right now, I believe there was debate uh, last week. Mm-hmm. And so we looked at that. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that podcast, we'd encourage you to go back. Uh, you can go to preparedtoanswer.org and you can find our podcasts on there. But we'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. It was a good podcast in terms of laying the foundation for what Bill C-6 is. Since then, you have written and posted an article that I found very intriguing. The title of the article, which also appeared in our spring newsletter, was What Christians Can Learn from Anti-Conversion Therapy Laws. And what I found was interesting in the article was that you saw this as an opportunity for Christians, that you saw Bill C-6 as an opportunity for Christians. And and frankly, we don't hear that right now in uh, in our discourse, that this bill is an opportunity for Christians. Could you expand on that? Yeah, we don't hear it much because I think right now uh, the focus that the Christian community and, and many others still have is the concern over the wording of the bill. And that's something we hope will is being brought before Parliament in the debates going on right now, uh, just to see the wording clarified to ensure that it's still it's a, the bill is not infringing on the rights and freedoms that Canadians have to to hold beliefs and faith practices, um, among among other things. What I meant by opportunity, though, was uh, despite the concerns that the bill poses to to civil freedoms, which I think there are some legitimate concerns. I think there is an opportunity. And, and as much as it give the bill is giving us a window, I think, into some of the the underlying worldview assumptions being that are that are held by our culture, and that I think are are holding our culture in captivity. And the the, the opportunity I see, I'm kind of reminded by something the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in Second Corinthians chapter ten where he says that we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. And I think this is a reminder from Paul that in our, in our spiritual battle, as we seek to live out faith in Christ and bear witness to the gospel, that we're in, that we're in a spiritual battle that, that is made up of not simply the unseen spiritual forces of, you know, of Satan and, and such in the unseen world, but that are made up of strongholds that take the form really of ideas. Right. That these strongholds of deceptions that Satan uses to keep people living in darkness. Uh, and so my point is that in, in, along the lines of Paul's, you know, Paul's admonition, that we have an opportunity, I think, to gain some insight 
to analyze and to respond to some of the ideas that keep our culture in captivity, or at least that keep people within our culture in captivity. Mm. So that's where I see some of the opportunity. Maybe one of the clearest examples uh, that I see, that we can see from the life of the Apostle Paul mm-hmm. in him, you know, in him illustrating was his engagement in Athens mm-hmm. as he was doing his missionary work. Right. Uh, he entered into Greece and went into Athens and spent time in Athens. And this Luke records for us in Acts 6, 17, that Paul spent a day in Athens walking around and looking at all of the the temples and the religious worship and the idols within the city mm-hmm. devoted to the Greek pantheon, mm-hmm. right? right? Then he goes and speaks to the, the elite thinking men of Athens at the Areopagus and, uh, and he starts with what he's observed, right? Uh, he says, I see that you're very religious. I, I've walked around your, your city and I see the, your, your devotion to your gods. You even had a god that you, you named the unknown god. You mm-hmm. gave tribute to who you believe to be there, but you don't know. Right. You think, you know, that you understand there's a, a divine being even beyond our capacity to recognize. And then he uses that as a kind of as a, a springboard, starting from where they are, their, their religious pre-commitments. He uses those then to say, you know, now what you worship as unknown, I'm here to tell you, uh, has made himself known. And he has done so through the man, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And he's come up from the Jews as, as the Christian or the Jewish scriptures foretold. This creator God who, even according to your own poets, right, that uh, in whom we live and move and have our being, and even some of your own poets, he says, say we are his offspring. Right. This unknown divine being that everyone owes their existence to, we're here to tell you he's revealed himself to us. So I think that's a great illustration of what Paul's saying is that in gospel proclamation, we are here to proclaim the truth of the gospel while simultaneously confronting the deceptions and the lies that keep people in ca- captivity to sin, that right. Satan uses to keep their minds captivated mm-hmm. and in darkness. Would you say as Paul went through Athens and saw these different gods we almost have the same opportunity today with this bill for insight. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously we're not talking about idols made of silver and gold. No. But in the ancient world, those idols represented something. They represented the underlying beliefs behind them about the nature of the universe and the world and in in the ancient world, the gods. Right. Or, Or essentially, you know, the ultimate, the ultimate beliefs about reality. Yep. That's what those idols represented. Well, in our day, it doesn't look like that, but what it looks like is in, in, in our legislation, our laws, that they represent, behind them are represented the, the, the underlying beliefs that people have about the world. Mm-hmm. And so even Bill C-6, I think, is giving us some, some very clear insight it's almost it's almost playing a set of you know a set of cards that have been close to the chest for a while I think and now have been have been laid down and has been stating is being stated very clearly about some of our culture's pre-commitments or belief commitments exactly so then what insights is this bill giving to us then what can we learn from it yeah well here's what I touched on in my article and I think I even mentioned this in our last podcast 
But um, among some of the greater concerns which are being expressed around the wording of definitions within the bill, what I found very interesting was the preamble to the bill. And here's what the preamble, the preamble is just kind of a a warm-up statement to here's the rationale behind the following legislation. Mm -hmm. And this is what it says in Bill C-6. The opening preamble states, whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society because, among other things, it is based on and propagates myths, which is being used in a pejorative sense of false beliefs, Right. right? Myths and stereotypes, including the myth that a person's sexual orientation and gender identity can and ought to be changed. So what I think is really interesting about this being included Interesting and concerning is that within now within the criminal law code, a statement by the government is being enshrined into our criminal law code that includes a statement of belief and a statement about what people shouldn't believe, right? It's essentially, it's essentially in using words like ought and, and myth, it's basically giving, it's basically stating a moral imperative, which says that it's wrong to believe this way. If you hold these beliefs, that's wrong. And in fact, it's harmful. And I think what it points to, which is one of my concerns about the reassurances being given about not sanctioning, that the, the, the law won't sanction conversations between pastors or faith leaders or even parents to their children about you know, religious teaching on sexuality or gender. While that's being stated, it seems pretty clear that from this, from this paragraph that it's being communicated that those kinds of beliefs are really not beliefs that Canadians ought to have. Right. right. And you that, could even see that in the debate. If you, if you heard the debate, a lot of the MPs were stating that outrightly. Yes. That, that these were not good beliefs. Sure. And the fact that this paragraph sets up the rest of the bill mm-hmm says to me, I think it says very clearly that the purpose of the bill is to eradicate these kinds of harmful beliefs. Right. Even if the, even if the language of the bill doesn't say so in, a, in so many words. But, but it certainly, to me, it certainly communicates that. Whether it's intended or not, mm-hmm. that, that seems to be implied. So there's this moral imperative that's being, I think, smuggled into the bill. Right. The, the difficulty or rather I guess the opportunity is in the fact that a moral imperative is being smuggled into the bill, you can't have a moral imperative, a moral command without a moral authority. Right. And so what I think the opportunity is, is that this is giving us opportunity to start probing and asking our culture or asking those within our culture, where is this moral authority coming from? Right. Right. What are we appealing to now? As a Christian... I'm, my cards are on the table. I appeal to God's word. I'm appealing right. to the creator of the universe mm-hmm. who has revealed himself in scripture, ultimately through the person of his son, and has made known to us how he wants his creation to live. That's my moral authority. I appeal to God's word. Where does our culture mm-hmm. appeal? Right. And I'm not certain that if people were asked that, I'm not sure what kind of, I'd be curious if you had a conversation with someone Mm-hmm. What answer they'd give you? What do you think is uh, the moral authority 
in the basis of this bill? Like, what do you believe is the undergirding of this moral authority? Yeah. Well, in the in my article, um, I think there's I think there's a couple of things that that lie behind this moral imperative. That really, it's an unstated authority, but it's based on I think two assumptions that our culture has imbibed, if I can use that word, that our culture has really just absorbed and accepted. And those two assumptions are, the first assumption is uh, is authenticity, and the second one is the assumption of self-creation. And I kind of get into this in my my article a bit, and I'll uh, maybe just take a a moment to unpack them with uh, with you, Sean. The assumption of authenticity is authenticity is reflected in in our cultures you know cultural mottos things like you know you need to live your own truth or mm-hmm. you need to be true to yourself yep. which if you say that it's you know it's almost uncontestable it's almost intuitively obvious of course we're all supposed to live our own truth and be true to ourselves that's what we're supposed to do right that's how you live well to me this was illustrated really clearly lately uh, just in February, a podcast, uh, one of Joe Rogan's, uh, Joe, Joe Rogan's, the Joe Rogan Experience, mm-hmm. one of his episodes, he interviewed uh, Demi Lovato, who is a actress singer down in the states, who's become very vocal in issue LGBT issues. She says this on the podcast. She said, "I'm done living other people's truths." She's speaking about her own sexuality. She said, "I'm done living other people's truths. I'm here to tell you that I'm going to live my truth." no matter what you think of it, because it feels right to me. And so this notion of authenticity is really a principle that I think it's kind of the new knowledge principle for identity and identity formation. It's it's the true you that you need to live out, you need to be, and that obviously not being true to yourself or not living out who you truly are is maybe the worst thing you can do for yourself because you're you're living out a deception. Mm-hmm. I think one of the challenges is that the 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 basis upon which we know this truth, right? That we know who we really are is as Lovato said, it's it's all I'm feeling. Right. Because it feels right to me. How do you know you're living out your true self because it feels right? And so there is there's this absolute dependence on the unquestionable authority of my inner psychological sense. What makes me psychologically happy, that's my ultimate inner authority. Mm-hmm. And that's the ultimate authority for authenticity. Now, what's interesting is that no one, no one has stopped to really ask the question, what happens if my authentic self, my, my self-declared authentic identity calls your self-declared authentic identity into question? Or vice versa. Right. Right? Yeah. I don't think anyone's asked that question mm-hmm. because ultimately that, that whole basis for authenticity, it's irrational. Right. right. It's not one we can reason with because it's all based on my inner psychological experience, my inner feelings. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's the first underlying authoritative assumption that lies behind this idea, this moral imperative that's been smuggled into Bill C-6. The other one is is very tightly tied to authenticity. In fact, I think it's also supportive of authenticity, which is the assumption of self-creation. And the assumption of self-creation really is more of a pre-commitment to our understanding of the nature of reality. Mm-hmm. 
And I think this traces all the way back to Darwin, Sean. When Darwin came up with his theory of natural selection, he made this declaration. He said that everything in nature, now that we have natural selection as an explanatory mechanism, everything in nature is the result of fixed laws. That's what natural selection now tells us. Well, if everything in nature is the result of fixed laws, that has to also include our own self-understanding, right? And it means that there are, there's nothing outside of nature to which we need to appeal anymore mm-hmm. to explain who and what we are. And the, the French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, I think, articulated the implications of this worldview shift very clearly. He said that based on, on this assumption of Darwin, there is no human nature because there is no God to have a conception of it. Right? The, the, the moment you do away with the supernatural or God who is outside of nature, mm-hmm. the moment that nature becomes all there is, then human nature evaporates right. because there's no one who has an idea of what humanity is supposed to be. Right. Humanity just, just is. Right. So what is humanity? Right? What are we? We're whatever we're being is what it boils down to. So Sartre says, he says, man is nothing else but that which he makes himself, right? Mm-hmm. So when you lose God as the source of understanding of, of what human nature is, of him telling us what we are, all we're left with is ourselves. And, and of course, as beings who need to have meaning to our existence, without a God to give us meaning, there's only one alternative. We have to create it for ourselves. We have to be those, as Nietzsche said, this was his conclusion, God is dead. Let us be involved in the creation of our own table of values, he said. We must become those who create themselves. Right. And that was where his whole idea of the Uberman, the Superman, comes from, the one who rises up from nothingness and makes himself. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other discussion. But, but I think that, that those two assumptions are very much upholding uh, the, this, this moral imperative that's being put forward in Bill C-6. So, so the idea of saying that, that be, these beliefs about sexual orientation and gender identity that may reside in you know, religions like Christianity, they're wrong. And the reason they're wrong is because they're based on a false premise. What's that false premise? The premise that there is a creator or a God outside of us who has any right to say anything about who and what we are. Mm-hmm. We determine that for ourselves. What a great discussion to answer the question, how did we get here with Bill C-6, which I think a lot of people, Christians, are scratching their heads and going, how did we we get to this point where it could be illegal for me to talk to my kids about what I believe religiously? So this has been a great discussion in terms of where that foundation came from and that it just didn't happen yesterday, that this has been in the works for years. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and if, you look at, if you look at the progression of ideas going all the way back to Darwin even before, hmm. uh, where we are now is the logical outcome of mm-hmm. the development of those ideas through history. So, yeah, so uh, while it might seem sudden to us because the, I guess, the, the outward wrapping of cultural values and, and mores mm-hmm. 
has suddenly shifted or seems to have suddenly shifted in the last several decades. Um, the, the underlying foundational ideas that upon which our cultural mores now rest have been developing over time under the surface. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think even just understanding that, Sean, is helpful mm-hmm. for us in terms of, first of all, in terms of guarding ourselves against, as Paul said in, in Colossians 2.8, of guarding ourselves against being taken captive mm-hmm. by the hollow and deceptive philosophies based on the human traditions of this world rather than on Christ, right? right? So to guard our own hearts and to realize that we need to do some careful thinking about the ideas and the values that we espouse to make sure that their foundation is the truth of God's word and not the assumptions of culture. And that's and that's a that's a difficult exercise to go through because when you live when you grow yeah. up in a culture, yeah. right? It's like the frog in the the pot, right. right? You you don't notice the changes around you because you're you're surrounded, you're immersed right. in it, yeah. and that's where we need the truth of God's word to to renew our minds. Again, as Paul said in Romans chapter twelve, transformation comes when our minds are renewed, and our minds are renewed when. Our, our beliefs, our ideas, the truths that guide our understanding about life in this world and God and everything else are shaped by God's word rather than hollow philosophies of the world. Yeah. 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 The second thing I think, Sean, is in, is in understanding in terms of our witness. I almost feel like we need to, to see our, our witness and our, imp- and our impact for gospel witness and influence in our culture Really, we need to see a lo- the long game mm-hmm. that there's a lot of work to be done to address, to do as Paul said, to demolish the arguments and pretensions that set, themse- set, it- that set themselves against the knowledge of God, taking captive every thought. That has to do with, you know, when we're witnessing to people, we want to present, on, on the positive side, we want to present them with the truth of the gospel. Mm-hmm. But we also need to recognize that they are captivated by certain lies, deceptions. And I think a part of effective witness is understanding that so we can expose them in the light of the gospel, much as Paul did in Athens. Right. Right? Here's the assumptions you're holding. Mm -hmm. Now here they are in the light of the truth of scripture. Uh, Here's the weakness of the assumptions you're holding. You believe there's this God out there, Paul says, that has... Has, is the reason for everything, but you don't know who it is, mm-hmm. right? Your assumptions are giving you knowledge, true knowledge. Right. And I'm here to tell you, here's the true knowledge. Here's the truth in Christ. Mm-hmm. So I think there's that opportunity we have of helping people to begin to question th- their ultimate beliefs. Right. So if our hollow philosophies that we've talked about today would be authenticity mm-hmm. and self-creation, then how do we respond to that? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I think there are some key principles we need to keep in mind when responding, in particular to the, to the uh, assumptions of authenticity of self-creation. In fact, in our next episode, I want to address that in particular. Uh, we've kind of run out of time now, mm-hmm. but uh, that, that warrants its own discussion. We've kind of, in this episode, tried to surface these these strongholds beliefs these strongholds of ideas and beliefs right. and i think authenticity and self creation are are assumptions that have saturated our culture's imagination hmm. most people just 
just have absorbed them without even knowing it. And what they may not realize is that they're based on ultimate assumptions or ultimate pre-commitments about the nature of the universe. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we need to get people. Thanks, Scott. That's a good place to end. And we would encourage everyone listening to join us for our next podcast, where we look at the question of how do we reach a generation captivated by the worldview of authenticity and self-creation? This podcast has been a ministry of Prepared to Answer. Our mission at Prepared to Answer is to help prepare, equip, and encourage the Church of Jesus Christ to grow in confidence of faith by teaching Christians to think like Jesus. To access more resources to help you begin understanding life and the world around you with the mind of Jesus, visit our website at www.preparedtoanswer.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at at prepared to answer. Or contact us directly by email at info at prepared to May the Lord bless and keep you. <laughs>